Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. The number one podcast is back. They're my relatives. I still love them. I pray that God forgives them. I pray that I'll see them in heaven. But here on earth, eternity in jail is not long enough. Eight from the same family, dead in rural southern Ohio. One family accused of killing members of another family. Just when we thought we knew what happened during the Piketon Massacre. There's blood all over the house. Everything is turned upside down. I just feel like something is not right. Was this truly about custody? I don't think he would kill her. I think he would kill for her. Now, with trials on the horizon, new theories arise. There's like a good four or five places that burned down. We're told he's lying because they're getting death threats behind bars. I was sent to the jailhouse in Pike County to put money on their book. So it's not hearsay for me. Why are we just learning about this now? This is one of the biggest pieces of physical evidence that we've had thus far. Just when we thought it couldn't get any stranger or darker, it has. This is The Piketon Massacre, Season 3, Episode 1, 
Mother May I. Officers wearing body armor guarded Angela Wagner as she walked into a Pike County courtroom to admit after years of denials that she helped plan the murders of Hannah Roden and her family. On the warm and heavily humid afternoon of September 10th, 2021 in Pike County, Ohio, accused killer mother Angela Wagner arrived in court. She was wearing black and white striped prison garb and her hair, previously short and blonde, now hangs in a long brown curtain. Here's Judge Randy Deering. You're admitting to the court that you are guilty. Therefore, by pleading guilty, you would be waiving your rights to require the state of Ohio to prove you guilty beyond reasonable doubt. Do you understand all of those rights? Yes, It's hard to hear, but that's Angela Wagner admitting guilt. The mother accused in Ohio's most complex homicide investigation has just reached a plea deal. As part of the deal, the aggravated murder charges against Wagner were dropped. She also agreed to testify against her family members. She will spend 30 years in prison and cannot apply for parole. What the defendant provided to us in her statements were very consistent with what her son, Jake Wagner, had provided to us back in April of this year. And Angela Wagner admitted that she and her family members all conspired together to commit these horrific offenses. Specifically, the entry into the homes in four different locations in order to kill the eight victims. The defendant and the state will make a joint recommendation to this court that the defendant receive a total of 30 years in prison. Angela Joe Wagner did unlawfully and with purpose to commit aggravated murder with another person or persons. Some were specific targets of the Wagners. Some sadly were killed simply because they happened to be there. It's not clear which of the eight victims were targets and which, as Angie Canepa said, were killed simply because they happened to be there. Was there a kill list? And if so, were others just caught by happenstance in the mayhem of the Wagner's murder spree? She was aware the night they walked out of the door. On April 21st of 2016, who they were going and what they were going to do. They then tried to cover up their involvement and Angela helped with those efforts as well. In all, Angela Wagner pled guilty to 14 charges, including conspiracy to commit murder, burglary, possession of firearms, tampering with evidence, forgery, and engaging in a pattern of corrupt activity. We now know that the night of the murders, Angela Wagner was at home watching her two grandchildren while the others allegedly went out on a kill spree. I'm Courtney Armstrong, a television producer at KT Studios with Stephanie Lidecker and Jeff Shane. In the 301 days since our last episode aired, there have been several significant court hearings The biggest yet, an unexpected appearance by accused killer mother herself, Angela Wagner. She's the second accused Wagner member to plead out. Here's Stephanie and Jeff speaking with forensic expert Joseph Scott Morgan and journalist Anjanette Levy about Angela's plea deal. I was surprised because apparently she's eligible for release after serving 30 years. So who wouldn't? 
take that because then she can possibly, and I say possibly because she may not live that long, one day get out of prison. This is a huge revelation. I mean, for three years now, we've talked about the four core Wagners being at every road and home the night of the murders, all potentially even being trigger pullers. And to find out Angela is now kind of pulling the rug out from under that story and saying that she was in fact actually at home, presumably watching the children as her husband and two sons were out murdering the eight Roden family members is a big shift in how that night played out. That is a very low sentence for somebody who by her own admission is saying that she plotted and planned to murder eight people and knew full well that they were leaving the house allegedly to murder that night. So she stayed home and babysat and just waited for them to get home? My thought is she doesn't have to be in the room pulling a trigger here. There have been people that have gotten the needle over the years for being a planner, a facilitator, if you will, of a broader arching theme. She knows what she's involved in and she better be thinking her lucky stars, you know, that it's 30 years that she's getting. Maybe she wasn't physically there. She was there, though. I mean, it makes you wonder. She's out going to Walmart to buy the shoes for her kids to go do it, like how a mom buys her kids shoes for the first day of school. And now she's getting off probably with the lightest sentence. Did she have the wherewithal to see that maybe if I stay home, I, my hands are clean or much cleaner than the rest of my family? If Angela Wagner was looking to protect her family and her son's daughter, why would she possibly send her sons out to commit murder? They too could possibly be killed. You don't have to whitewash this in any way. She was there, you know, we talked about the boots, which are gonna come into play, I think. And we talked about the weapons that were utilized and how the setups on those were. She may not have had a gun in her hand, but she was there in more ways than one. It's very possible she is leaving one of her sons for dead to take the hit for her. That's even more demented. She also was the shopper and involved in a lot of the planning of this. And I can say that now because she's admitted to it. You know, she's not accused anymore. She's pleaded guilty. Although one interesting legal point is that Angela and Jake Wagner have to testify to the satisfaction of the prosecution or all four of their death sentences are back on the table. That means for an extreme example, if Angela and Jake plead the fifth or do not testify to something that the prosecution believes that they know, according to the deal they've made, this negates the plea deal. What a show this court appearance will be. So for the first time, Billy Wagner, the accused father, George Wagner, the accused eldest son, both now are moving forward with their trials. And ultimately, Jake Wagner, the youngest son, and now mom, Angela Wagner, will testify against them, in front of them, eye to eye. And if the stories don't add up, they all could be looking at death sentences. It basically means that Angela and Jake Wagner better bring the goods to the trial. According to Angela Wagner's testimony, her family purchased quite a few things to prepare for this murder. Special shoes from Walmart, ammunition, a magazine clip, brass catchers, and a bug detector. And a bug detector is something that detects signals admitted from cameras, which would help figure out if there were surveillance cameras. 
So there was clearly a lot of thought and preparation for this murder. This was not a crime of passion. Here's Special Prosecutor Angie Canepa further describing the Wagner's alleged planning of the murders, specific purchases they made, and actions they took to cover up the crime. The four co-defendants conspired together in this homicide, and all four co-defendants took part in that, as well as making various purchases to accomplish the goal. They removed the phones of all the victims and cameras and other surveillance equipment. Additionally, they destroyed those items. They forged documents to make them appear to be genuine. After planning for months to commit these homicides and then carrying the homicides out, the four co-defendants spent their time trying to conceal any evidence of their crime, including asking others to either avoid the scene or to be dishonest with us. Angela admitted to purchasing some items leading up to the offenses that were meant to help the other three co-defendants in carrying out crimes, such as a phone jammer, which prevents people from being able to call for help. The thought of the jammers is so horrifying. I mean, the forethought that would go into disabling the Rodin's family's phones so that they wouldn't be able to call for help as they were being shot to death is really just a very scary visual. Can you imagine horror hits your house? You're fighting for your life. The people you love are being murdered and the murderers are coming for you next and you can finally get to the phone. And now the phones are jammed and you can't even call 911. It's anybody's worst nightmare. It's a nightmare scenario and then a nightmare within that. We know, for example, little Chris was able to hide for some time during the murders. It makes you wonder, did he have access to a cell phone or a house phone and tried to call for help and couldn't get through? the scariest thought imaginable. When we first started covering this, it was like, you know, ninjas in the night and it was all, no one could possibly figure out who did this. They they were so skilled, whoever did this murder. Now we know it's pretty sloppy. Did they just get lucky for two years? There were shell casings left at the scene. That's how these people get caught. They make mistakes. They don't cover all of their tracks. This is one of the biggest murder cases in Ohio's history, if not the biggest. So here we are, two plea deals, many motions, and two remaining trials ahead. Is it possible that Angela Wagner orchestrated the plan to murder other mothers in front of their children? And if so, how could a mother create a plan that would turn her own sons into killers? Forensic expert Joseph Scott Morgan remembers driving past the house where the Wagner family lived. I remember traveling out to that home that they all shared, that farmhouse. It made me think, you know, for that moment in time when I'm, you know, traveling through that little lane in front of the home, you you sit there and you kind of consider it, you know. I remember slowing down the car and just kind of staring at it, looking at it, you know, sat there and that, it's a beautiful backdrop, you know, the fence and the greenery behind it. And you're thinking about, you know, what kind of planning's going on around the kitchen table. They're all a party to this. And it, it just becomes absolutely insidious. And it seemed impossible to imagine that they were having murder meetings. We were speculating about that and it seemed impossible, but now we do know that to be a matter of fact, if we believe everything that's been said so far by Jake and Angela. Yeah, I agree. You start talking about conspiracy, you gotta have a meeting. You know, you gotta have a meeting. It's a collaborative effort. You know, they, they had meetings, trust me. I don't know if anybody kept minutes, but they had meetings. 
Unique to this case is that there are so many mothers involved on all sides. Three mothers were murdered that night, including beloved matriarch, 37-year-old victim Dana Roden. Dana Roden was returning home from working a double shift as a nurse that fateful night. She was shot five times in the head, four in the side of the head, and once under her chin. Dana Roden lived on Union Hill Road with her 19-year-old daughter, victim Hannah Mae Roden. Hannah Mae Roden shared a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter with admitted murderer Jake Wagner. This child is said to be at the center of this story. Hannah Mae Roden had also given birth just five days prior and was holding her newborn when she was shot twice in the head. We should remind you that there are two Hannahs in this story. Admittedly, we know the least about mother and victim 20-year-old Hannah Gilly. She had long blonde hair, wore dark-framed eyeglasses, and hoped to start a daycare. She and her fiancé, eldest son and victim Frankie Roden, were murdered in their bed in front of their six-month-old and Frankie's three-year-old son. The children were found alive at the scene. Hannah Gilly was shot five times in the head, once through the eye. To add another layer to this already complicated story, Hannah Gilly was the sister of Charlie Gilly. Charlie Gilly was the guy Hannah Mae Roden started dating after her split from Jake Wagner. So the relationship between Hannah Gilly's brother, Charlie Gilly, and Hannah Mae Roden feels significant to the story because it was the first relationship that Hannah Roden really got into after her split from Jake Wagner. And of course, there's no way to know this for sure, or at least until the trials happen. But it makes you wonder if Hannah Gilly was shot so many times, five to be specific, because Jake Wagner felt some type of way about her brother's relationship with Hannah May. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in a moment. On May 2nd, 2022, a mere three weeks before this episode is airing, there was another court appearance. This was a motions hearing between the prosecution and accused oldest son, George Wagner IV's defense team. It's the latest turn in Ohio's largest homicide investigation. Attorneys for George Wagner IV say there is proof he did not kill any of the eight victims. Attorneys for the oldest Wagner son are now asking for murder charges to be dropped. The hearing revealed even more details of the Wagner's time leading up to the murders, the night itself, and the aftermath. There was a specific focus on how the Wagner family treated women who entered their fold, beginning with victim Hannah Mae Roden, Jake Wagner's former girlfriend and mother of his child. The court lays out how Hannah Mae was manipulated, abused, and controlled, all with Angela at the helm. Rise. Thank you. Please proceed. This is State of Ohio Plaintiff versus George Washington Wagner IV, defendant, case number 2018-CR-155. Today is May 2nd, 2022, and this is a hearing. We have a hearing scheduled on motions today. The defendant is present in court with his attorneys. 
the record uh, should reflect too that the defendants appearing today in civilian clothing without any visible restraints. The five foot nine George Wagner IV is thickly built with green eyes and thinning brown hair. He wears the same clothes to each court appearance, a button down with a black vest over it. George Wagner sits flanked by his two attorneys, largely keeping his eyes lowered to the desk in front of him. Here again, Special Prosecutor Angie Canepa. I should talk about what we believe the overarching thing of this criminal enterprise. It's kind of the all for one and one for all, right? They functioned as a family unit. So part of that was control over the two grandchildren in the mix, the defendant's son, and Jake's daughter, also what Jake hoped would be his unborn child at the time. So in their reaction to when they lose control of that, there obviously also was some financial purpose behind some of what they did, right? They were homeschooled, very insular. You did not have people going off and doing things on their own. So as far as the defendant and the relationship with Hannah, this involves domestic violence towards Hannah. When we look back at Hannah Mae Roden's social media posts in the months leading up to her murder, it's clear she was crying out for help. In one post, she states, quote, end domestic violence, live a happier life. Here again, Angie Canepa further outlining the lengths the Wagners went through to attempt to secure Hannah Mae Roden's child. We do have admissions on the part of Jake as to pushing her up against a wall and basically having his arm in a position that it was choking her airways. We have witnesses to him chasing her in a vehicle um, after getting upset with her one day. His controlling nature towards Hannah, including but not limited to dictating every aspect in regard to their shared child, that continued right up until Hannah was killed. His controlling nature towards Hannah regarding the second child, including but not limited to telling her not to disclose the child's actual father, that it was his child, because Hannah was very forthright with Jake and told him that it was not his child. He tried to get her to agree to not tell the actual father that the child was that person's child, offering to give her money to put his name on the birth certificate, trying to convince her to move to Alaska with the whole family, and suggesting that they raise that child alongside their shared child as if the child was the defendant. The father of the baby Angie Canepa is referring to is Charlie Gilly, who we just heard about. Charlie Gilly dated Hannah Mae Roden the summer before she was murdered. He was later proven to be the father of her five-day-old. Here's Stephanie and Jeff. This is the story as old as time. And we hear it a lot, unfortunately. Jealousy plus rage often equals death. And this case seems to be no different in that regard. Honestly, it's a young mom. How do you murder somebody in that way straight to the face? It seems as though there has to be something more personal to this. 
you know, we recently came across some personal photographs that were shared with us, one of which is particularly haunting. It shows Hannah Mae Roden in the hospital right after giving birth to her baby. She's sitting on her hospital bed next to her father, also victim, Chris Roden Sr. And she's holding her baby and wedged between them is now who we know to be a murderer, Jake Wagner, sitting between them. And he is smiling ear to ear as though in a family photo, as if with his father-in-law and the love of his life, Hannah Mae. And really the truth of this photo is that he was going to kill Hannah Mae, her father and her entire family. And that's the part that you just can't grasp. He had different plans for everybody involved. And the photo, you can see in their eyes that this is not a genuine moment that anyone is enjoying other than Jake Wagner, which is just very tragic knowing what we know is to come for this family. Here again, Special Prosecutor Angie Canepa. So they had actual people that lived near her reporting back if there were any other men around or etc. And they would report back to Jake. Again, Jake's obsession with Hannah, wanting to get back with her and being jealous of the relationship with other males. And as we indicated to the court, Your Honor, this was very reminiscent of what George did with the mother of his child. George Wagner's ex-wife was a woman named Tabitha. Together, Tabitha and George Wagner had a baby boy. Angela Wagner fought tooth and nail to ensure she was in charge of the son, so much that she emotionally tormented Tabitha until the young woman snapped and gave up custody to the Wagner family. We first heard about this abusive relationship that Tabitha had with the Wagner family when we met her sister Christina and mother Patricia a few years ago in a trip that we took to Pike County, Ohio. When we were there in Pike County, it was pretty clear this was a pattern. Tabitha was the first target and she was scared enough that she actually turned over the rights of her son to the Wagner family and that perhaps the Wagners were at it again. And because the Roden family was fighting this custody, that that's maybe why their lives were taken. We were there shooting a documentary for NBC's Oxygen Network called The Roden Family Murders. And when we started speaking to people who knew the Wagner family, what we uncovered was a pattern, a pattern of not only abuse, but a pattern of the Wagner family being obsessed with control of custody. And so while we all thought Hannah Mae Roden was the first victim of this, it turns out that was not the case. And that this other family felt as if they too were the victims of the Wagner's obsession with control. And I think it's worth noting that Hannah Mae Roden and Tabitha were would-be sister-in-laws. They were also really close friends and allies. And ultimately, they were both alleged victims of the exact same family of abusers, the Wagners. Tabitha's sister spoke to us at length last season, and now, for the first time ever, her mother, Patricia, has also agreed to speak on the podcast as well. 
And keep in mind, we now know that Tabitha's mother, Patricia, is really at the center of the trials ahead. What we found is that their lives also may have been in jeopardy had Tabitha not signed away her rights to the Wagner family it seems like it might have been possible that they too could have been murdered. It's a very chilling thought. Again, Angie Canepa on the Wagner's mistreatment of Tabitha. They would meet as a family and take votes before they decided what they would do. That would range from where they were going to live down to the most intimate details between a husband and wife. For instance, intimate relations between George and Tabitha. Angela involved herself in that. So there was literally nothing that was off limits. Everything was done as a family unit. Let that sink in. Angela Wagner was even involved in the most intimate details between a husband and wife. They ultimately made the mother of George's child sign over entire custody to George with the agreement that Tabitha could visit the child if and when the Wagner said she could. Angela has admitted that she was the one hacking in social media, that the reason she was paying so close attention to Tabitha's Facebook was because Tabitha was making noise about taking them to court to finally get standard visitation with her child um, that she had never been able to receive. So that was the reason they were doing that, but they just happened to see the conversation between Hannah and Tabitha's mother. This is a level of control that she has over her adult sons that is unparalleled. In December 2015, sent a private Facebook message to another person telling them that she had never signed papers ever, they will have to kill me first. That message was first seen by Angela Lang, who took a screenshot of it and later showed it to Jade and the other family members. In this moment, while illegally spying on her daughter-in-law's social media, Angela Wagner intercepts a message from Hannah Mae Roden to Patricia. Hannah Mae stated that she would never sign custody papers ever, writing, quote, they will have to kill me first. Was this the moment that sealed the fate of the eight soon-to-be victims? Let's stop here for another break. Two months later, an investigator saw evidence the virus became perfectly homicide. In four months after Hannah and Roman sent that message, she and the nine other members of her family were dead. Reporter Anjanette Levy. If you kind of looked at the big picture and looked at all of the details and what we had been able to learn about, you know, how this whole alleged plan unfolded with Angela Wagner having access to Hannah's uh, Facebook account and seeing the the message she had exchanged with Tabitha's mother, you know, saying they'd have to kill me first. And according to the prosecutors, Angela shows that to Jake and then the whole plan unfolds from there. So they're the driving forces. She's pleaded guilty to basically hacking into these Facebook accounts and monitoring these people. There was a lot of planning that went into this. I mean, she was heavily involved, although she wasn't in the room, according to Jake and according to her. Somebody had to stay home with the children, right? This is based on 
their collective shared suspicion of anyone outside of their family and the safety and well-being of the children that George had and that Jake had. Defendant and his family preventing Tabitha from contacting her family during the time she resided with the defendant and his family. She will tell you that I believe she was allowed to call her mother one day. I can't remember if it was a mother's birthday or mother's day. Last season, we heard from Tabitha's sister, Christina, who explained to us the abuse that Tabitha went through while living with the Wagner family. This included tracking her movements, emotionally abusing her, verbally assaulting her, making her feel less than. And ultimately, Tabitha was forced to make a dramatic escape from the Wagner home. Even at the time, we were not aware of quite how intertwined Tabitha and victim Hannah Mae Roden were until now. As more is coming out about the months leading up to the murders, Tabitha's name is really a part of this story in a big way. Defendant his family threatening to shoot Tabitha on the last night she resided with them before fleeing for her life, never to return to the residence. Defendant and co-defendants having Tabitha's child referred to and considered Angela as his mother, spying on her through surreptitious means, including but not limited to accessing both her and her mother's social media accounts and having others spy on her and get back to them. They actually tried to enlist Hannah Mae while Hannah Mae was alive to uh, get information that Tabitha might disclose to her and report it back to them. Again, all to maintain custody and control of the children. Defendant and his co-defendants taking actions to prevent Tabitha from being able to regain custody, including but not limited to trying to keep the child from her for more than a year so that they could claim abandonment. That was their distinct stated purpose for doing that. As we just heard, the Wagners tried to manipulate Hannah Mae and Tabitha for their own means. The two young women were both in near identical situations and were very close. Here's Tabitha's sister, Christina. They were best friends. Whenever Hannah was basically leaving Jake and all that, getting out of Angela's grasp, she was talking to my sister about how to do it. And my sister told her that she had just left. She got tired of it. Before she had left, she, you know, asked my sister why she had left and all that. And she was upset at her at first because my sister had left her alone to deal with it all by herself. But where they were best friends, My sister took up for Hannah a lot, and she didn't have that support anymore. Whenever Hannah finally left, she was talking to my sister, Tabby, that she was glad that she had left, and she had tried so hard for so long to work up the courage to leave, and that she was really scared to do it, but she was glad that she did. Stephanie and Jeff spoke with reporter Anjanette Levy and death investigator Joseph Scott Morgan. And if you think of the details of the case, they all signed the custody documents. Should Jake, Hannah, or George be killed or die, Angela gets custody of the children. She sends them out fully knowing my boys and my husband may be killed and I may be taking care and raising their children for the rest of my life to carry out this plan. I get choked up. 
I hadn't even thought of that, Anjanette. That is even more demented than I thought because she gets custody specifically of Jake's daughter that he shared with Hannah. Frankly, she never had a daughter of her own, speaking right. for Angela. Is this the granddaughter she never had? And is there a version of this where the greatest plot is to have everybody go away? I think to your point, Steph, the idea that she's not there, I think that's a more disgusting level to me. That, you know, here, boys, go forth and do as I've said at this moment in time. And that that's kind of the impetus behind this. And she kind of sends her minions out to do this thing for her that she's planned. So again, this collective intent, this strong desire on the enterprise to keep complete custody and control of the minor children. Jake threatened Hannah Mae with violence saying that he would kill her and, and her body would never be found before he killed her. And again, this is a collective response. If there's nothing they do, not even their most private affairs without the consent or willingness or participation of the other members of his family. Speaking out for the first time on this podcast is Patricia mother of Tabitha, the ex-wife of accused eldest son, George Wagner IV. Patricia's involvement is now known to be at the center of the entire case. Yes, I think she's guilty of sin because I know the demeanor of Angela. She tries to be the loving, caring mother. But if you've seen the side of Angela that I've seen, you can tell that she was all fake. Uh, you could talk to Angela, and the first thing went through your mind is, well, she's a conniving bitch. And if you ask Tabitha, that's why Tabitha left. I call her today and ask her, Tabitha, why'd she leave George? She couldn't take Angela no more. For two years, she lived with him and was not allowed to have any contact with me whatsoever because Angela didn't want her to. They even went as far as taking Tabitha's cell phone from her. So it's not hearsay for me. Tabby wasn't afraid of George. Hannah wasn't afraid of Jake. They were only afraid of Angela. But what we also know is that there are new theories that dispel all of these accusations. Everybody thinks all the bad stuff happens in the big cities, but the devil works everywhere. Could Angela Wagner simply be lying? And just who is she? It's impossible to imagine that custody is the only thing. And in recent reports, and interviews we've done, it seems as though there may be a larger plot in play. Something is a lie. I just feel like something is not right. There's like a good four or five places that burned down. This is one of the biggest pieces of physical evidence that we've had thus far. There's a lot more secrets to uncover in Pike County that involved the Wagner family and the Roden family. They drug a whole family through the mud. Not just the mud, they drug them through hell. People who could not or would not speak out before have come out of the woodwork. We know the end. We've got some idea what happened in the middle. I want to know about the beginning. When did the switch flip to where the only resolution was to go and kill them all? More on that this season. If you haven't listened to seasons one and two, last week's How We Got Here episode will catch you up. 
For more information on case photos, follow us on Instagram at KT underscore studios. The Piketon Massacre is produced by Stephanie Lidecker, Jeff Shane, Chris Graves, and me, Courtney Armstrong. Editing and sound design by Jeff Twa. Music by Jared Aston. Audio mixing by Ken Novak. The Piketon Massacre is a production of KT Studios and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.